Hello and welcome to the Empowered Hormone Podcast, where we pull apart all those taboo topics, periods, parasites, poos, hormones and more. Let's question everything you've been taught about your body. I'm your host, Sheridan Decker, a gin-loving gut health nerd passionate about debunking myths on birth control, period pain and IBS. If you struggle with bloating or your period is less than pretty, then join me as we chat about everything relating to gut and hormone health. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Empowered Hormones podcast. I'm so stoked to have you here today listening again because I do have Nina here today, which is going to be an awesome topic. Now, some of you guys may have come across, I'm going to say Nina, but we often say naturally Nina, um, who is an accredited nutritionist and sports nutritionist, uh, as well as a CrossFit trainer and specializing in sport and performance nutrition, disordered eating. And what I really love is also plant-based diets. So she developed a passion for nutrition after being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and struggling with an eating disorder throughout high school and has now been working, oh, there you go, you've told me here anyway, um, in private practice for just over five years, seeing clients one-on-one worldwide, both online and face-to-face, which is amazing. Her aim as a nutritionist and coach is to educate, support, empower her clients and audience on social media, which you've done really well in, and in learning to feel their bodies, optimize their performance, both in sport and everyday life. So thank you so much for jumping on here today. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I just feel like you bring such a wealth of knowledge to the table in this space, like a you're so young, you've been through so much, you've built this business, but also I guess your diversity of knowledge in building something around sports performance and a plant-based diet is awesome because there is so much mixed information out there and then especially when it comes to plant-based eating as well. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And thank you. That's very kind of you. I'm flattered. (laughs) But yeah, you're right. Like social media, I feel like social media in general, like it's just a a mixed bag of misinformation and, you know, people making claims that they shouldn't be. And it's a confusing space for people. Yeah. And then also like I, when I think of the plant-based stuff, I just think of how much negative talk is around because to be fair, like every space, there's so much crap food in the market, right? Like it's like someone going carnivore and just eating like shitty mints every day. And you kind of like, that is not actually what it's designed for. It's to go eat organ meats or doing AIP diet, like an autoimmune type diet. And people just cut all the foods and don't actually focus on including the good stuff. And I feel like plant-based eating can be the same. Surely you must see it done so poorly as well as done so well. Yeah. I think because like plant-based is a very like a hype term at the moment where, you know, it's, it's very trendy where we have to come back to like what the meaning of plant-based actually is and where it stems from so and then we've got the two avenues as well there's people going plant-based for like the ethical and the environmental reasons um which we'd you know or, or even vegan which I am myself as well but like in that space like a, a vegan diet literally just means you don't include animal products it doesn't say anything about what foods you are including so I really like to focus more on okay what foods are we actually including rather than what we're excluding because that will determine a lot more like are we 
actually meeting our nutritional requirements? Are we having a well-balanced and well-rounded diet from the foods that we've chosen to base our diet on and include on that daily basis? Yeah, for sure. And like now you have this solid knowledge around it, right? But where did your health journey start and where did your vegan journey start? Did you come in as informed as you are at this point now? (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) So, um, well, where to start with this? So winding it right back to like growing up, for example, always had like a great relationship with food. Um, I'm from Switzerland. So like, feel like this is much more of a European thing where like we ate all our family meals together. We like most of the time we'd cook everything from scratch. Me and my sister were in the kitchen, like from basically as when we could walk, we'd be in the kitchen helping mom, like that kind of thing. Like it was actually a little bit of a shock coming to Australia that it wasn't normal for families to eat every single meal together at the table, like every single day. Like that was just normal for us. So like growing up, it was all really good. And then when I was nine, I was diagnosed with type one diabetes and that kind of threw my life upside down in terms of just not really as much having to change what I ate, but more like how I ate in terms of like carb counting and like planning out meals. And of course it was like watching like sugar content and things like that, which because of how much like I'm a very perfectionist type A person. And when it was like all about like, you know, controlling blood sugars and how much is this going to raise my blood sugar by and counting carbs and counting dosing insulin, all of this stuff, like it led to me developing some really like rigid and disordered habits around eating, which then took me down the path of a full-blown eating disorder, was hospitalized most of the time throughout high school, like a really, really rough relationship with food where it kind of became all about like calories and eating as little as possible. And like a period of time, I'd like live off those sugar-free diet yogurts and like, you know, really awful. And at the time I was swimming at quite a high level as well. So like my energy output would have been pretty high, but just not eating properly at all. And it, yeah, it really impacted my health very poorly. Throughout this time, I was already vegetarian and this was like hundred percent for ethical reasons. Didn't have anything to do with like weight or health or anything like that it was just, I didn't want to eat animals. Animals. Um, and then throughout my recovery or during my recovery from an eating disorder where I would say I wasn't anywhere near recovered, but I was kind of doing a little bit better was when I decided to go vegan. And again, it was for ethical reasons, but the path that I initially took with it was rather disordered because I got all of my information from, hadn't studied nutrition then yet. And I got all of my information from social media. And at the time, I don't know if you have come across this kind of stuff before, but it was all like freely the banana girl, like people eating like basically just fruit and a little bit of like rice and potatoes and like fat was the devil and like all of this kind of stuff. And like, I just thought that that's how you had to eat to be a healthy vegan. And yeah, I was probably eating, uh, well, not probably, definitely eating a very, very unbalanced, very inadequate vegan diet. Like hair was falling out in clumps and like already being pretty malnourished from all of that history of an eating disorder and still being very underweight. Like it was just not good. And I could see 
my health like declining with it. But at the same time, because I was so passionate from that ethical standpoint, I kind of refused to see it. And it was only through studying nutrition and through kind of coming to that realization that this isn't working and starting to make those changes, like actually starting to have a a well-balanced plant-based diet and including way more fats and protein and calories overall. Like that's when my health really started to improve. And I started to see, oh, this is what it looks like to actually feel good and to actually eat well. Yeah. And there probably wasn't, like you said, there probably wasn't that much good information about plant-based Absolutely not. It was all like all the stuff that I was looking at anyway was all from, yeah, like those social media gurus like you know freely the banana girl and like youtubers who'd like adopted the same it was all like people going on like these cycling holidays to to Chiang Mai in Thailand and eating like just fruit like it it was when you look back on it you're like what the hell was I thinking yeah yeah but then to throw in the like a second factor of diabetes around as well so so you've got the plant-based stuff the eating disorder history and then diabetes I feel like even the information in that space there's been a lag with the catch-up, surely. Yeah, absolutely. Diabetes as well. Like it's and it, it's a very mixed bag. Like there's, I feel like in diabetes, there's often two camps. The one camp is just eat whatever you want and give insulin for it. And then the other camp is like eat low carb. But there's nothing kind of in between where it's like, make like eat a well-balanced diet that's like, you know, plant-based is awesome for diabetes. Like the fiber really helps with still being able to include plenty of carbohydrates and having stable blood sugars because it doesn't just spike them up quickly and then bring them back down. So like, yeah, definitely a big sort of disconnect there. So you've always been in the athletic space as well. You're saying you did swimming, I'm assuming, yeah, yeah, as a youngish age, teenage years, yeah, and then sort of moved over into the CrossFit space as well or, yeah, yeah. yeah. And what pushed you um, sort of down into CrossFit? Well, it was, it's actually like kind of by accident in a way because so I was doing swimming, yeah, throughout high school and because my health declined so much, I ended up having to quit swimming. Um, and then for a number of years during recovery, I basically did nothing other than like just, you know, you're walking and a bit of yoga and that type of stuff. Um, and then when I finished uni and my health was like on its way up. I was strong enough to start exercising again. Swimming again, wasn't really an option because there's just no like clubs except for like for kids kind of thing. So it was like, and I, I'm not the type of person, like I am a competitive kind of person, like with sport, I don't just want to, you know, just exercise for fun. Like I want that side of it. So yeah, I ended up finding a, a strength and conditioning slash CrossFit gym down here. And I just fell in love with it. Yeah, yeah, and it progressed from there into a sense that you then are now a CrossFit coach as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you did your nutritionist degree and then did you start consulting or you worked in different spaces for a while to find what you wanted to do or now lean or you always knew that sort of sports nutrition was going to be sort of your thing? Yeah, I kind of always knew that. I I didn't know exactly what it was going to look like. Like as I was studying, I always thought I wanted to work in a hospital, more in the like diabetes space actually like in a children's hospital definitely with kids not with adults I don't have that kind of patience (laughs) even though now I am working with adults I mean like in a hospital setting but um yeah 
it, it was actually because like I told you um, off air before, like I'm really attached to Dunsborough where I live and because it's a small town, there's, there's no hospital. So it kind of like it was either work for yourself or stay in the city. And because I had built up a bit of a following on social media and, and people had expressed interest in working with me for nutrition, I thought, look, I'm going to give this a crack um, to see if I can do it. Um, lots of like people especially like family and everyone saying no you've got to go work like somewhere first for a few years and before you try doing your own thing like it's not going to work um but it did yeah yeah and here you are I know amazing (laughs) so good so I feel like the one of the biggest questions I get asked around the plant-based diet stuff is meeting your protein requirements because you know on a real simplistic level and obviously your knowledge extends beyond this but most people go oh well that's plants plants don't contain a lot of protein meat is protein and people think steak automatically in a yeah. sense how do you overcome that where do you look for your protein and do you struggle to meet your protein requirements Absolutely not. Um, It's it's all about just knowing the right foods to include or to focus your meals around when you're eating plant-based. So yes, there are lots of plant-based foods like, you know, your fruits and your vegetables, which don't contain barely any protein, a minuscule amount, but really not a lot. Um, And also the important thing to be aware of is when we are like athletes or active individuals. So I call anyone who like trains with purpose and intention, like with the goal of improving and getting stronger and getting fitter, like you are an athlete, whether that's just like a hobby athlete or an elite um, um, professional athlete. So your protein requirements as an athlete are pretty much doubled um, than just the, your general person. So a general person, kind of one gram per kilo of body weight will meet your requirements just for health. But then for an athlete, that actually goes up to 1.6 to 2.2 grams per kilo of body weight. So say a 70 kilo female, your protein requirements are kind of around 140 grams per day, which is a significant amount, you know, uh, pretty easy to meet when you're including, you know, like chicken and, and meat, those meals will easily get, you know, 40, 50 grams of protein in a meal. However, plant-based, that's a lot more difficult, um, especially if you're not including those protein efficient foods in your diet. So even taking like beans and lentils as an example, which are generally considered protein sources on a plant-based diet, again, they contain protein and more than some other foods like fruit and vegetables, but it's still not a considerable amount of protein. So for example, like half a can of beans or chickpeas contains around nine grams of protein. And if we're trying to get, you know, 140 grams per day, it's a lot of beans that you have to eat. And a lot of fiber to get through. A lot of food volume. Yeah. So looking at more of like your your soy-based foods are really good for protein. So thinking like tempeh and tofu, um, like the textured vegetable protein as a mince or like edamame noodles, legume pastas. Um, If you can tolerate it, like your wheat-based proteins, like a seitan can be a really good option. Um, Protein powders, like in smoothies and things like a, a pea or a rice or a soy protein powder, your your plant-based milks, like a soy milk is a really good option as well. And then also learning just to combine those foods. So for example, if you've got like a, um, 
a bean dish? Can we add a little bit of tofu, a bit of edamame in there or serve it with like a higher protein carbohydrate option, like a high protein bread or like a high protein grain, like a quinoa or something like that. And, and just working out, okay, what do my meals actually need to look like to kind of get that 30 gram, 40 gram protein in that meal? Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's awesome. I love that. Cause what I see from like someone who's not plant-based as well is they can often tend towards even like, even with animal proteins that might be um, reasonably high in protein, but then also really high in fat, the, the pairing it with something quite high in carbohydrates, they're actually getting full too quickly before they getting enough of that protein in in a sense and I feel like in a plant-based diet you'd have to be conscious of the same thing because if you are eating a large oh, volume absolutely. of plant foods there's yeah. so much fiber you'd be like flip on full when I haven't even started on my tofu exactly. yet and I, I work with a lot of plant-based athletes and myself also like whose energy requirements are very high so you know think around like needing like 3,000 calories a day or so like it's difficult to meet that if you're eating a hundred percent whole foods which like of course in an ideal world I'd love to eat a hundred percent whole foods but sometimes it's just not possible and you actually have to include the more quote-unquote processed options like say swapping from a whole grain to like a white rice or rice noodles um, including some things like fruit juices and jams and you know some white toast and things like that just to get the energy in because not meeting energy requirements is actually really not good for our health. It's not just our performance and our energy levels, but it's things like our hormone function, our endocrine system, um, like our thyroid function, that's all then compromised if we then end up under fueling for our requirements. So that's really important when you're working in that plant-based athlete space, just because fiber, super filling. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if this happened for you, but with me, when I went through my eating disorder, I used to track, like, I never thought about macros. This was like years ago when I was like under eating, over exercising, way too much CrossFit, burnt myself out, all that classic story. But I found I was just like 1200 calories have to be underneath that, blah, blah, blah. Whereas like now if I'm tracking, a, it's loosely tracking, but it's my mindset has changed so much because it's like I have to hit over 2,200 calories. Like I know that's my bare minimum requirements and you start to shift that when you have that education around it. And I'm sure that must be for you as well, A, because you're exercising so much yeah. and you know you've got a high output yeah. and B, you know when you're a busy person like yourself, you can tend to under-eat oh, quite quickly. Absolutely. Yeah, and look, to be honest, ever since I went through my eating disorder, my, my hunger cues are just like not rural. They're just all over the place. So like I use tracking myself as a tool as well. Number one, because it really helps with diabetes management to know like the carbohydrates and everything in my food. It helps me dose my insulin a lot more accurately. So it's really helpful from that regard. And then number two, just to make sure I'm eating enough, because if I, if I didn't keep an eye on it, I would again, just way under eat just because again, plant foods, they're filling. I love my veggies, but I have to be really on top of it to make sure we actually get that energy target in how do you go like did you ever have digestive issues then because though like one of the biggest um problems I see is like if someone's like presenting as plant-based but then they're just struggling like see a lot of people struggling with a lot of the legumes or you know being based meals did it take you time to add a tolerate the amount of fiber you're tolerating or I think yes and no like because 
even growing up, like um, as a kid, like our family always included like lentils and tofu, mm. lots of veggies and beans. So I feel like my digestive system was pretty used to those foods. And it was more actually just because of the years and years of like significantly under eating to allow my body to adjust to actually eating enough food. That was more of the issue. And of course that came with a lot more fiber, a lot more FODMAPs. And then again, just being mindful of the food choices I was making. So not overdoing the fiber and also not overdoing the food volume. That's a really big one for me as well. So being mindful that I'm not like having giant salads and more, you know, having like a wrap or something instead. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause I feel like, again, it's that education and awareness because you can do lower FODMAPs while someone's sort of in a real severe dysbiosis state or they've got really bad SIBO or something and you can tolerate and play with it. But ultimately it's just a microbiome thing, right? Like your microbiome can take so long to adjust to even just different foods, even adding in like a tiny bit of miso or something can be enough for someone who doesn't have a lot of soy-based foods to be like, I don't have the bacteria for that shit. Definitely. Yeah. And for people with a background of disordered eating like I did, it's a lot that the actual digestive system itself is impacted by that. So just the motility is like a really slow transit time, which means that you have that delayed gastric emptying and you just stay full for a really long period of time, especially when it's then high fiber. So it's even like beyond microbiome. It's more just that digestive function just is, is not quite there. And it just takes a long time to strengthen that back up like any muscle. Yeah. Yeah. And then I guess, yeah, the absorption of nutrients and knowing that people like when we've under eaten for a long time and you don't have that zinc, you don't have those bees and can't produce enough stomach acid. It's that whole, you know, you're not breaking down these foods properly. You're feeding, you know, candida and bacteria overgrowth. And it's just a whole cyclic effect really. So exactly. for you now, um, what are some of your favorite protein sources? Like what meals do you enjoy eating on a plant-based? Like what's some of your go-to stuff? Yeah. So I, I really like tofu is probably one of my favorite foods just because of how versatile it is. So I'll use it in like, I'll do like stir fries with like either rice or like rice noodles or soba noodles. That's one of my go-tos. I love like Mexican type of wraps or burrito bowls and sushi bowls are really nice. Um, I also love the pulse pasta, like the chickpea and lentil mm-hmm. pastas and just doing like a veggie based sauce. Sometimes I put like lentils or like TVP in there. Um, also just love oats, like overnight oats and bircher and, you know, with like fruit and soy yogurt, sometimes a bit of protein powder. I'd say those are probably my like staple meals that I do like some variation of most of the time. So how do you reckon that changes between like, cause obviously it's the amount of food, like you list off all these foods and I go, oh yeah, my brain automatically goes, oh yeah, pre-post-workout, they would be good meals. You're probably yeah. going oats, you're going, there's carbs in there. I'm adding protein to it, doing that stuff. How does that change like performance wise if you think of like your general person who's barely exercising to someone who's exercising a lot? Are you timing your fats and proteins around exercise or how are you structuring your meals on the day to day? Look, in terms of how it differs to someone who isn't exercising, it's more just the quantity of, of food in general. So carbohydrate requirements will be lower for someone who isn't doing exercise. Um, protein requirements will be lower and overall calorie requirements will be lower. So, you know, looking at the plate, that would be just a smaller amount of food potentially and maybe more vegetables and less of the more energy dense parts of that meal. Or I might be adding like extra fats to the meal just to bump the calories up and having more snacks. Like I 
have like at least three or four snacks a day, just again, just to get the calories in. Um, and I prefer that as opposed to having really big meals, again, just digestion wise. Um, and then around timing, I try to, I always eat before training and maybe like 30 minutes to an hour before I'll have like a more easy to digest sort of meal snatch larger snacks and maybe like some toast with peanut butter and banana or rice cakes or something like that. And then afterwards I'd have a bit more of a filling meal with that protein and carbs and some veg or fruit in there. So you must have, because you've got your nutrition quite dialed in now, tell me about the increases in your performance as your nutrition got better and more like obviously you're eating more, but you're eating more protein. Yeah. Did you notice difference in your like your outputs, your strength, your times, all those kinds of things? Massively, like absolutely no comparison. Like even, even if you look back at videos from me training like four years ago, like I'm, I'm like, a lot heavier as well, just because I was very underweight when I first started. But even just like, obviously it's a combination of food and and like muscle gain and weight gain, but like the food is is what allowed that to happen. So yeah, it's, it's no comparison. And that like, even with my energy levels on like a day-to-day basis, that's why I have to be so on top of my food. It's like, if I under eat, even just by a few hundred calories and I know that I need, like I feel like the walking dead. Like I feel like I've run three marathons. My energy is so low and then actually eating enough. Like I I feel great. So it, it has such a big impact and and on performance as well, like weights, how it feels like times, like it, it makes such a difference. I can't emphasize that enough. And that's why I'm so passionate about it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think it's really hard for people if your hunger cues aren't right. Like if you don't have good hunger cues and often people say to me, I'm so tired in the afternoon. I'm like, well, what have you eaten over the day? And then they kind of lay it out. That's not actually a lot of food. And they're like, yeah, but I'm not hungry. But that's that's when your right tracking comes in really handy because you can be like, hey, I've only had 50, 60 grams of carbs today and yeah. it's three o'clock. Like what is yeah. going on? Yeah. yeah, and for me it was also kind of unlearning how much I thought I needed in relation to how much I actually needed because like even growing up like a swimmer where we would spend like four hours in the pool every day, like in comparison to that, I'm like, oh, but I'm not really doing that much. Surely I can't need that much food. But then also like, well, I'm so tired all the time. You have to at least give it a try and see if you feel better and just kind of trust that process and then see how much better you could feel when you do that. Like, I think sometimes we let fear, especially when it comes to like women and eating more, like fear of like weight gain or that it's too much or whatever, like stop us from actually seeing how good we could feel. But sometimes we just need to commit to just making that change for even if you do that commitment to like, okay, for the next four weeks, I'm going to try this and then see, do I feel better? Do I notice any difference? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's, it's the small little things, like you said, like either starting to loosely track or add in a little bit more food or for some people, it's just simply eating breakfast. Like, you know, like it's those bits. If someone was thinking about going plant-based, where is a good starting point? What are some foods to that are quite easy or enjoyable because some people also go gross like they've had one serve of tofu once and they're like that is the most blandest rubberish whatever thing I don't want to add that in where's a good easy starting point to add some of those extra higher protein foods in 
I would actually focus on the meals that you currently eat and enjoy and look at how you can make those plant-based. So for example, if like a staple meal that you love is let's say like bolognese pasta, can we do that with like TVP mints or like swap the mints for like, yeah, crumbled tofu or something and really make sure that you either keep the same spices and seasonings or actually like just add way more because you're right. Tofu is pretty bland. I don't mind eating it plain, but that's like me as like level, whatever vegan. But if most people are even buying those like saute Mm pre-marinated versions to start with and using them in like sushi bowls and salads, um, definitely like potentially following some recipes at the start and not just trying to wing it. If you don't know how to cook those foods, you're not very familiar with them. I think that's a good place to start. And just making some simple swaps, like swapping the dairy milk to a soy milk or, you know, swapping the, I don't know, cheese to a hummus or something like making those little swaps to kind of your regular meals and taking it at the pace that you need to rather than letting it get overwhelming. Yeah, because that's the thing, isn't it? When we go cold turkey and then we're just like, oh, actually, I don't even know what I'm eating now. And then people resort to just eating fruit and veg or carrot sticks or whatever. And then they feel crap and they're like, well, this is no longer fun. And the compliance goes out the window. Whereas you're right, if you slowly like switch one or two meals or sad's breakfast each week and you're having scrambled tofu or something, can you slowly or start making desserts, you know, with silken tofu or something? It's, it is a way nicer transition. And then, like you said, you're getting those protein requirements in because yeah that is probably the number one thing I see where people just under eating yeah. as food yeah and my philosophy food. when swapping to a plant-based diet is replace not remove so any food that you're removing we've got to replace it and then with that we've got to replace it with like a nutritionally similar equivalent so you know mm-hmm. not just like you know your pulled beef tacos doing like jackfruit tacos instead like it's, it's not going to be an equivalent or like swapping greek yogurt to coconut yogurt like when we're going to miss out that calcium, that protein. So we need to make sure we are choosing nutritionally. They won't be the same, but similar equivalents. Yeah, no, I love that. That's super helpful. And that's so good because I, like you said, like a lot of people don't realize that or don't think of what they're getting nutritionally wise out of, you know, some of those animal-based products as well. Yeah. Even like if you go to a a restaurant and you order a plant-based dish, like most of the time it's all like cauliflower instead of meat and and jackfruit instead of meat or like vegetables 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 it's like I have no protein in this meal yeah yeah and like you said like and then sourcing good quality protein because you can also buy poor quality I want to say shit tempeh or tofu or whatever that's you know maybe not um a taste wise that great or b you're thinking the same as when you're buying meat like obviously your organic meat or your grass-fed meat or whatever the way it's processed the quality quality of it is still going to be better than other versions of it. So there must be that variance across the board with plant-based products as well. Yeah. It's more that like, I think we're pretty lucky in Australia, like the quality of like the tofu and the tempeh is is pretty good in my opinion. Um, Some of the meat alternatives though, it's just again, being aware that then they're not like all in the same box, like some are not like not great sources of protein some are more like your sometimes treat foods rather than like an everyday food or like you know even say like there's certain meat replacements that are more just like coconut oil and a bit of starch which like you know again if you want that for a family barbecue here and there totally fine but it's not something that I'd be having every single day just because it's not going to be a very nutritious and and protein rich option 
Yeah, and it goes the same with the milks and stuff, like thinking soy milks and some with like some of the vegetable oils or canola oils or things in them and you're like, oh, okay, don't really want to be adding that into my body. Those, it's more like those organics, the nut milks, like mm-hmm. whilst they, they sound great, they probably taste great. A lot of them just aren't calcium fortified because of that, you know, organic label um, and making sure that like my favorite brand is the Vita Soy. They have a really good quality or the Pure Harvest as well. Like they're all fortified with calcium. So you've got your different, whether you like your oat or your soy or whatever milk um, and they're really good options just so we're actually getting that calcium that we're removing when we're um, not having dairy. Yeah, that's awesome. And you're right, like the market's expanded and shifting so much as well. Absolutely. Like so us. much. I feel like every week there's new stuff out. And then you go to Bali and like Changu is just loaded with insane vegan restaurants. Like there are so many good ones. Like even if you're not classing yourself as vegan or plant-based, you would go to them just because the food is so good. Like, and you don't even, yeah, feel like you're missing anything. Um, Well, thank you. That was awesome. For those who want to learn more, want recipe inspiration, where's the best place to find you? Yeah, just my Instagram. So my um, Instagram handle is naturally underscore Nina underscore. Um, and then I also have a website that I neglect a little bit, but that's naturally-nina.com. Awesome. I will link those all in the show notes for you guys listening as well so that you can go and be inspired and yeah, just follow Nina's journey and go and learn some stuff because I do feel like it is such an important topic. And even if you don't want to go 100% plant-based, adding in more plant, you know, dense sources of protein is always going to be a good option, a good starting point as well. So thank you for jumping on today. Um, And yeah, we hopefully will chat again soon. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Empowered Hormone Podcast. If you know a female who needs some empowerment, please forward, repost, tag or share and let's get women talking.